And a very warm welcome to one and all to this second Euroculture Views podcast. This is Andre Wies at the microphone. And with me are Robert Planken and Roland van Boven. And our special guests today are Fabian Kriete, Ries Chingis, and also Leah. Uh, we've got Fabian first on. The topic today is Euro Corona, how the COVID-19 crisis has affected our study program as Euroculture students moving between different universities. And with that, I hand straight over to my colleague Roland, who is going to ask the first questions. Yes, thank you very much, Andre. It's always a nice pleasure to be co-hosting the show as well. Um, so yeah, Fabian, uh, right off the bat, um, how did the pandemic uh, yeah, affect you personally? Well, first of all, thank you for the, the warm welcome. Um, I would say that it affected me in ways I couldn't have imagined beforehand, um, especially because we were like the three of you just moving to our second university to the Usto in Bilbao. And then things, things went their way. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so uh, can you tell us more about like how uh, you moved around uh, as well? Um, you start, we all started off um, uh, doing our studies from home uh, like how how would you say that yeah how that did that affect your studies well first of all was the organizational stuff that came with it was was a lot of effort um so two weeks before the the lockdown in spain started i had to go back to germany for my grandma's funeral as well and then i remember coming home and then the week after i think there was a, a typhus breakout at our university. I don't know if you guys remember. And then literally a couple of days after we were sitting in a computer lab and then the lockdown in Spain was pronounced and then all universities would, would stop their, their in-person teaching activities. Um, the first thing that came to my mind is um, honestly, how am I going to survive in my shitty apartment in Bilbao with two roommates that I haven't had a good connection with? Um, Quickly, my two flatmates also left the country. So I was just sitting in my room thinking, yeah, am I gonna realistically stay in this flat all by myself under a strict lockdown? And quickly I drew the conclusion that it simply didn't make sense to stay, stay put and stay in Spain. So, so I moved back to Berlin and moved in with my girlfriend who was at the time doing an internship in, in a hospital. So. I remember arriving in, in Berlin and it, it was honestly a different world because the lockdown measures weren't so strict in, in Germany as a whole, but especially in Berlin as well. So I felt like I, I had the mindset of a lockdown, but I arrived in a place where there they were actually no, no strict measures. Yeah, that's a curious thing, isn't it? I remember coming back from uh, Spain to the Netherlands as well, where I went from uh, an airport with serious serious measures to people welcoming each other on the, the flight desk coming back home it's a weird thing to see isn't it 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember the second day I was in Berlin, uh, I had some friends in Berlin and they said, hey, we're going to play football with 20 people tonight. Are you, are you joining? And I was like, um, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And at that time, my friends didn't understand what I was on about or why I didn't join them playing football. But yeah, in the following weeks, it also gained pace in Germany. And I remember like now in retrospective how I followed the news or I had a news ticker on my phone every hour or so in the first couple of weeks and now it has completely shifted. Now I'm just taking the measures as they are and I mean of course I'm informing myself but definitely not to the extent that I was doing in the first couple of weeks or month. Yeah the whole changing of the mindset is quite a quite a big thing. I remember checking world o meters I believe the site is called religiously just every day seeing what the case is done and now it's it's somewhere but you see it coming by now and again but it's not like it's making a huge impact exactly uh, and i remember you you talking about because obviously you went back and forth uh, to germany uh, just before and uh, just mm. after the, the lockdown was and you had some troubles with your landlady if i remember correctly yeah that was also quite annoying um my landlord and my landlady were in their 90s i think so so first of all it was hard to communicate because they were only speaking basque or spanish and i'm not good at either of them i well i was originally planning to improve my spanish but we all know how that turned out but um, right? sorry spanish 1.1 right exactly i attended three classes and then the lockdown came <laughs> Well, anyway, and um, then when it came to getting back my deposit and actually I, I went to Berlin thinking, okay, I'll come back in two months. So I left all my, my clothes that I didn't need. And so I had the problem of, oh, how do I get my suitcase back to Berlin? Um, how do I give the key to the landlady? How do I get my deposit back? And yeah, it was all a struggle. Then in the end, I had a fellow Eurocultural, you're talking later to Greece, uh, he collected my bag actually and left the key at the flat. And yeah, then it took weeks of explaining what I did to my landlady. So I'll get back the rent. I tried to get out of the, the rental agreement before so I wouldn't have to pay for the month that I wouldn't be living there, but that also didn't work out. So yeah, just the organizational stuff that came with it was in the beginning, the annoying part. and. In the beginning, quite frankly, I thought the online classes were fun, was different, and definitely the quality wasn't so good as we would have been if we would have met in person. But I think it was all manageable in terms of the study efforts at first, but it's it's more like a slowly slow process of yeah de deteriorating the life balance and just the efficiency in everything you do related to, to studying, I think yeah obviously it's it's kind of a slippery slope did you have that with uh problems with concentration or anything the more it went on during those first few months um well in berlin it was a different case because it's it was my my usual environment so there i didn't really have problems with being productive but when i moved back to Göttingen and moved into my shared flat and i don't know the first two months back in Göttingen, i, I spent at my girlfriend's place and but when this like deteriorating energy and stuff kicked in was, I think when I moved into my flat, settled there and then sort of the, the daily routine kicked in, 
at the end of the summer, I believe, when, when the weather started to get worse and I just sit here in my room and I can't do any sports. Like I limit my, my social context to bare minimum. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard if you, if you don't have the balance, especially normally I do team sports at least three times a week. I meet people every day and that stuff gives me energy. And it's also probably what drives me when I do work. But if all of that falls apart, then, then it's, it's hard to concentrate. And especially for me, it's hard to concentrate in my own room because usually what I do is I walk out the door and I sit in the library and do my work. And then I leave the library and I leave the work and I have a different mindset when I'm at home. So it's hard if you if you sit at home and sort of switch between, okay, I'm home, but I'm also working. And then at night times you think, oh, I could have done way more today. And it's just, you can't really press the on and off button. And that was the difficult part for me, I believe. Mm -hmm. Did you uh, find anything to kind of balance that in the end? Well, I started doing some home workouts and I think like everybody, I started to go on walks, meeting friends outside. But at some point, first of all, it's, it's definitely not the same than my usual social life. And I'm definitely also not very fond of going for walks. But um, yeah, I, I tried to find coping mechanisms. In the end, I managed all right, I would say. But yeah, I mean definitely not as efficient as I was in, for example, the first semester. Okay. Leif Roland has a question. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I, I also had a question. I, I think it's, yeah, a lot of people um, went through this, this a sort of similar experience as well, like yeah, having, having to adapt and, and seeing your your life basically be reduced to to a minimum uh, as you said in social contacts and interactions basically going out um we're still sort of in partially in a lockdown uh probably is still uh in germany the case as well so here over in belgium uh, but maybe uh, if you would look back on it uh, do you think you would have things uh done differently um, maybe. Well, that's a good, good question. And I, I thought about it beforehand, but I mean, it's, there's really no alternative. It's either you, you behave in a manner, which is at the end of the day, what is needed in a society that you show solidarity and the option B, which some people in my network are seen doing is, is just not caring and circumventing the measures and I don't know it's I think it's my personal principles that that wouldn't allow me to do so maybe at the end of the day I would have allowed myself to I don't know go see my family one or two times more just for the benefit of, of feeling better but yeah honestly I, I don't know what I would have done differently well, I think that's all we have time for for now. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Fabian, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Next on are Reese Newton and Chingis Jumakaye.
and a very warm welcome to Rhys Nugent and Chinggis Jumakayev, um, Euroculture students um, from Göttingen and Deusto. Um, we all met in Deusto and uh, Chinggis and Rhys spent quite some time there. Uh, thanks for coming on the program again. Now you're in different places. Uh, uh, I think Reese is still in Deusto and uh, or in Bilbao, I should say, and Chingis has moved on to Warsaw in Poland. Welcome to the show. So, um, how was it uh, living together in Deusto during the second wave? of uh, the COVID crisis. Cengiz. Thanks for inviting and uh, I'm very happy to hear and see all of you today again. And regarding your question, I'll say in my case, it was uh, not that different from normal life, except the fact that we didn't have classes, of course, and I had online classes. But in general, like I haven't noticed different uh, that much difference, and I was going outside a lot and traveling still and seeing people. So I would say I enjoyed a lot that time. Yes. Did you feel it made a difference living with Reese, who was also in the Euroculture program, as to the first time round? It was definitely beneficial, and I think I would say it's like one of the best time of uh, Euroculture uh, program. Uh, living uh, in Europe, it's like one of the best experience and uh, definitely uh, influenced me a lot in, in my progress during the studies also. And uh, thanks to him, I was introduced to MUS, uh, which is a big part of my life now too. Well, um, uh, that's um, very complimentary, Reese. Uh, uh, what do you say to that? Are you just blushing on the mic or um, how did you perceive it at the time? Yeah, I, I'm going to give Chingus the 20 euros after this call is done. Don't you <laughs> me, Andre. Um, no, yeah, thank you for the invite. Uh, it's lovely to be here. And I echo what Chingus said. It was actually quite an enjoyable time. I think it's it's been difficult for many people to be by themselves during these difficult periods, but to be with somebody else who's living through the same circumstances, you know, in the same situation with our course, I think it really was quite beneficial. And with me as somebody who perhaps spends too much time online and doesn't really go outside as much anyway, I feel it was very beneficial to have somebody around me who could really get me involved in things and try and encourage me to get some sun from every time and then. Um, yeah, it was an enjoyable period, I have to say. Sounds very positive, um, despite um, the dire circumstances. I think Roland's got two questions for Chingis as well. Yes, thank you for giving the floor to me, Andre. Uh, yeah, Chingis, I, um, of course, as a fellow classmate in the so um, we know that you stayed in Spain for a while and also and uh, that was mainly also related to um, visa problems um, and yeah I actually have a question in that regard how do you um, how did you face these these problems that you have throughout the program yeah I would say nothing really changed that much with pandemic I would say maybe it was the same it just became just worse 
uh, I actually started to have already some kind of misunderstanding and problems when I was already in Germany, especially with scheduling. Like I was so surprised that the mobility is like the essential part of our program. And yet we still cannot get, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the non-EU students, like we still cannot get in time our visas or residence card, the cards. And uh, eventually I ended up doing it in Spain. And it took me like ages, as you know, like one year. Uh, like from my side, I didn't contribute anything to that process, but I would say I would highlight a great job from University of Deusto, especially Maite, who really helped uh, in doing all that. And I don't want to blame like university in particular, but would probably the system in Spain of like, like the migration system, which is really awful. And it comes from Madrid, as I understood, because if you compare like in Bilbao, they're really pissed off also, uh, I mean, the authorities about the system and that it's very slow. And I don't think so that they were also happy about that situation. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's good to hear. At least you, um, yeah, you got help along it. Uh, would you say though that, yeah, it's 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 a complicated matter. I mean, the, also the university of course is, is dependent on the authorities. Um, but as a yeah, as a non-EU student, do you say the help that you got was sufficient um, in that regard? Um, I would say maybe more than like yes than no. At least uh, I try to reach everyone, and uh, I mean anyone I could like in Göttingen or Euroculture Program uh, Consortium or Dosto, and everyone actually got back to me. Uh, but still, of course, it was not in their power to do something about that. And my choice was just to wait. But I would say, if I evaluate their job, I would say they try to at least to do their best. Still, even though it was very difficult, I would say, yeah, they, they did a good job. All right. It's good to hear. Well, at least, yeah, it took some time, but you managed. Um, all right, I'm handing the floor over to Robert. Yes, thanks. Uh, so, Reese, uh, we've touched about it, or at least Chingis and yourself touched about it for a little bit as well. Uh, all the different programs are in. Uh, Chingis mentioned the MUS, uh, or the MUE, I believe. Uh, sadly, I think that one didn't uh, continue last year. But as you said yourself, you spent quite a lot of time online doing projects. And uh, it is my understanding that you've done a lot of these projects even during the COVID times. Could you enlighten us a little bit about the process and how you transferred everything to online? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, the project that Chingus alluded to is, is Model European Union Strasbourg. And it's um, a project I've been involved with for a few years now, ever since 2018, when I participated in it. Traditionally, it takes place in the European Parliament, but of course, with the pandemic, as soon as we had the news that, well, physical events aren't possible, it really kind of changed the world of simulations, which do typically take place in person. So with MUS 2020, um, it was just such short notice with everything happening. It literally happened three weeks before the conference that mm -hmm. suddenly we went into lockdown in Spain. 
uh, it was impossible to change things so quickly. So we adapted into, let's say, this online format, which is more just a selection of panels and workshops and getting people, our partners together to talk about, let's say, the current situation and how we can do things online. Um, of course, now this year, we're much more prepared to have an online format because plenty of conferences have taken place online. Um, I attended a couple um, basically in September, October last year of online simulations, and they work roughly in the same way. I would just say that ICT infrastructure issues tend to be quite common. People have issues with their internet, people have issues with their microphone, but otherwise the preparations are identical. It's just that it's a very different experience being there in person and meeting people, and then you know, in comparison to doing things online. Apart from that, there was one conference that uh, was meant to be in person. It's called uh, the European Budapest Agora. Every year they bring young people from around Europe together to discuss uh, democracy and challenges to European democracy. And that was meant to take place in, in Budapest, but of course it couldn't take place in person. So that transformed actually into this online project called Youth for Democracy, uh, which was meant to be in the framework of the Conference on the Future of Europe. And that was actually highly successful. It only finished a, about a month ago. Um, and that took place without any issues. So it shows that these things can take place online. But I don't know if that answers your question. Sorry, Robert. Uh, yeah, very much so. Uh, would you say that um, you mentioned the IT problems? Uh, is there a lot of or a big difference between people actually signing up for an event in person or online? Do you see a bigger uh, number of people, for example, signing up when it's in person? It's difficult to say. So I've I've liaised with quite a few people about this because we want to get you know a general idea, especially for MUS 2021. We're aiming for a conference in the autumn of what we can expect. I would say that most conferences haven't been impacted by this. So in the case of MEU simulations, um, I know that many other conferences this year have attracted about 100, 120 applicants, which is pretty good when you consider that most of the time there are 60 or 70 participants. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's pretty decent numbers. For us with MUS, and it's a far larger conference, I expect us maybe to be a bit hit a bit harder because typically, you know, our main selling point is being in the European Parliament. And now that's been taken away from us. So it's very difficult to attract the same amount of people. Um, but typically, this hasn't been an issue so far. And I would say that's partly due to us being able to reach a broader audience, people who might typically not have been able to take um, or to participate in physical conferences, wherever that may be, can now actually access it so long as they have, you know, the ICT infrastructure available to them. So they're becoming far more inclusive and accessible in this regard, which is always a positive. Yeah, so we're seeing uh, actually two major developments, a positive one and a negative one. For example, uh, well, that's very nice to see. Do you see that you've got a lot of different uh, a new audience you can reach? For example, uh, an audience more based in other parts than Europe. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the first thing that sprung to mind is that well, in our case, for example, we it's very difficult and expensive to reach Strasbourg. It's actually not the most accessible place, um, surprisingly, despite having the European Parliament there. So typically we've had people want to take part, who've had to pull out if selected or simply cannot consider it because of the costs involved with reaching there. And now that's, that's out of the window. But at the same time, we have to remember that significant time differences still do exist. It, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're holding an online event, let's say at 9 a.m. in Europe, 
Well, that's going to be completely different if somebody, let's say, from you know China wants to take part or somebody from Australia. So yes, it becomes more inclusive, but at the same time, there are still challenges that hinder participation. And certain people may actually face new hurdles with the online environment. So not everybody also has access to the materials and infrastructure they need. And that's something we need to remember. Mm -hmm. I see. So just to clarify, I think we're almost running out of time, sadly, but um, this autumn, you're doing another one. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about, about what it's going to be about? Just to end off, maybe get people interested. Sure. Thank you, Robert. So uh, yeah, there'll be a MUS 2021 taking place at the end of September and early October. It'll take place across two weekends and we'll be discussing two real life EU legislative proposals, specifically the Just Transition Fund and also the prevention of the dissemination of online terrorist content. If you're curious about what the EU is doing to try and create a sustainable, let's say, Europe and also a digital safe Europe, then yeah, look us up on social media, MUS, and I look forward to hopefully seeing people apply there thank we go, you Reese. very fascinating stuff um thank you both for coming on um next up is our last speaker leah uh, we're looking forward to that bye It is my very great pleasure to welcome now our last guest on today's podcast, um, Leah Quillitz. And uh, we're very happy to have you with us, Leah. And um, uh, thank you for making the time. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. I think Roland's got um, the first question for you. Yes, Leah. Thank you very much, Andre. Uh, I was quite curious, Leah, how, um, in what way did the pandemic affect you and, and also looking into your studies? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think as it is true for most of us, it had an enormous uh, impact and influence on all my studies and the whole Euroculture experience, basically. So I spent my second semester in Sweden and um, I was actually supposed to go to Mexico for my third semester, which uh, obviously um, wasn't possible then. And so I had to, yeah, change my whole plans for, for the rest of um, my studies. And yes, while being in, in Sweden, of course, for us there, not so much uh, changed um, in comparison to other uh, students at other universities and we were like really aware of that um, but even for us um, of course everything kind of switched into online teaching and we had to adapt to that as well um, and yeah it was handled very differently by, by different people in Sweden also so it was quite the experience I would say. And could you say that, um, because you said you were planning to go to Mexico, um, yeah, how, like what changed um, um, for that in that regard? How did you, are you able to do it still? And, and how did, uh, what did you do in the other, in the uh, meantime? Um, so I'm actually not really sure, like, um, during the third semester, basically, the, we were in um, in conversation with the consortium and they still 
were trying to offer us the, the possibility of either moving the third semester into the fall semester, basically, or now there was the idea to um, still be able to do the semester after basically finishing the whole program. So in a kind of additional fifth semester. But um, I think it's still not really um, a certain uh, what is going to happen. And the same goes also for me, uh, for my plans. So I'm not sure if um, I will still be able to go. Uh, I think it's rather unlikely actually. And uh, in terms of what I did instead, well, I first then uh, decided to apply for, for internships, which was quite difficult at that time, I would say. Um, so I wasn't really able to find anything that suited me completely. I actually uh, got an offer uh, in, in Constance, um, so at uh, Lake Constance in the south of, south of Germany. So I ended up moving there for the internship and then I still decided to go for the research track in Göttingen because I thought it would be a better choice in terms of what I was um, trying to do with my thesis and everything. So it was really, yeah, a bit of a messy time with a lot of decisions and, and yeah, changing um, opinions and plans all the time. So yeah, I, I finally ended up being um, uh, in the research track in Göttingen while actually being physically in Constance in a city where I didn't know anybody and where we were also on lockdown for most of uh, the semester. So yeah, this was not the funniest time I would say of the whole study. All right, yes. all right. I think that Robert also has some questions for you. Yeah, that sounds very bad, actually, to be all alone in a new city with uh, not a lot of people around you doing everything online. Um, yeah. You alluded to the Swedish lockdown before that, and I would like to get into that a little bit, because uh, obviously you've done a hard lockdown as well. And what were your views on the soft lockdown? Um, well, it was, it, it was completely different. So, I mean, just an example, the first time I actually wore uh, a mask in, in public was when I, um, entered the plane back to, uh, back to Germany in June or, or July. I, I can't remember really. So before that, wearing face masks were, was, was not, was just not a thing for us there in Sweden. And um, while a lot of things were not possible, and like, for example, in, in Sweden, there's a, a, um, like this student union things or an important part of, of being a student in Uppsala is basically being involved with uh, student unions. And there's a lot of, um, yeah, social happenings there. And this was mm -hmm. basically completely shut down. So for, especially for, for the exchange students, it, it wasn't an easy time because there was basically, yeah, very limited interaction among us. Some were really scared also uh, due to the virus, but still we were very comfortable when it comes to like moving around and still meeting up for coffee and all the things that we, we missed so much. Um, and so we uh, 
considered ourselves very, very lucky at that time being in Sweden, um, especially uh, while knowing about how bad it was for, for other students, um, especially in Bilbao, for example. Um, but yeah, it was, I would say the, the, the worst part of, of being there was the uncertainty, uncertainty of what would happen and what actually was best to do, because, you know, a lot of people were also kind of bashing against us and like you know your family is calling you and it's like what is Sweden doing like are you insane and my mother being completely scared of, of the virus and like ordering me to you know to get enough chocolate paper and soup and cans and all of that and you know just this this kind of yeah weird times but in general it was a step definitely the, the best place to be and we were still able to to uh go into nature and you know uh to to study together which was the most important thing at that time so i'm, I'm really really grateful actually that i that i was there it's very yeah. interesting because um it, it shows that that you know the comparison between you being in sweden and others most of us in <clears throat> in Bilbao with the hard lockdown that there was still um, there was still a negative impact on you uh, despite the different or more relaxed rules like this general uncertainty your family worrying or people perhaps you know even being jealous I mean they are, or envious because they accused mm -hmm. you uh, well like they used you as a channel of their anger at at the difference between the measures in a way seems to me exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah very very interesting that was a bit of an eye-opener i have to say yeah <laughs> yeah well it yeah it it was it was very weird times i i would give you that <laughs> Yes, Robert, do you have another question for Leah? Uh, yeah, I think we're running a little bit out of time. So I'll just end on a bit more of a positive note. Um, you said you had, or hopefully you want to get into this, uh, a vaccine yesterday. Do you feel a bit more safe now? Um, yeah, well, I guess so. I, I actually have to say that um, as it maybe is the case for, for most of us young people, I was never really afraid to, to catch the virus myself, but rather uh, containing it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm relieved that I myself am not really a risk for, for others anymore, hopefully. And mm -hmm. I'm super glad that it's easier to cross borders because I'm actually currently residing in Switzerland. And this is the, the most difficult thing to always go through just quarantine rules and uh, all of that. So I'm just glad that I get a little more freedom now when it comes to moving around. Yeah, and piggybacking off of that, any big plans for the summer now that you've got a vaccine and are able to get some freedom back? Oh, uh, well, honestly, I'm all hands on my thesis right now. And uh, I'm actually not sure when, at which point I will be able to plan something, but I hope there will be one or two weeks uh, somewhere in, in late summer, and then it's probably going to be a simple road trip around Switzerland and uh, yeah, the Alps maybe. So looking forward to that, but no big plans yet. Okay, well, let's hope it works out and good luck. And thank you very much for thank coming you. up.
Yeah, thank, thank you, so you Leo. And we wrap our for, uh, our second podcast up. And um, thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to talk about the impact of Corona on the on the global south, and we're going to have an expert on foreign aid uh, on the program with a lot of experience in Latin America and a fellow Euroculture student from Ghana. So I hope we'll be joining us for that. And for now, it's goodbye from me, Roland, Robert, and Leah, our last guest. Bye. Thank you. Bye. bye.